Thank you for listening to this lunchtime talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, Artistic Director of Tarnandi, Nikki Cumpston, introduces the exhibition John Mwanjul, I Am the Old and the New. Hi everyone. Thank you very, very much for coming. My name is Nikki Cumpston and I'm the Curator of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art here at the Art Gallery of South Australia. And I'm also the Artistic Director for Tarnandi the Festival of Contemporary Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art. I'd like to start by acknowledging that we meet today on the lands of the Ghana people and to pay my respect to their elders. A lot of the elders who I've known who have passed on, the elders of today and the elders of the future, the elders do a lot of very hard work bringing the young people up to enable them to be able to be the elders of our future. And I'd just like to acknowledge that especially in regard to this exhibition, John Mwanjul, I Am the Old and the New. So John Mwanjul is an incredible artist, as you will all see by walking through and looking at this incredible body of work that's been created over a 40-year period. So John Mwanjul was born in 1952 in a place called Mumega, well, close to a, to a place called Mumega, and Mumega is where he was brought up until he was in his teens. And his father was Ankur Gulumbar, who's an artist that we have in our collection, who was renowned for making manjabu, the fish traps, from a particular vine, which is collected from one of the sites that we walk through as we travel through this exhibition. So the sites in Gunungu language are called Gunrid. K-U-N-R-E-D, with the K pronounced like a G, as in Ghana. And the, the sites, the Gunrid, are very important, special places that the artist is able to paint about. So the artist, John Mwanjul, his skin name is Balang, and Balang is the name that when I met him, he asked me to call him. So Balang is a Gunungu man of the Guruk clan, and his family, as I mentioned, were living in and around Mumega, which is a location that's situated about an hour and a half south of Manangrida. So Manangrida is a community of about 4,000 people. It's 500 or so kilometres from Darwin to the east. It's on the coast. And there are three main river systems that run from the coast inland, and that's the Man River, the Liverpool River, and the Tomkinson River. So these, these rivers, during the wet season, flood. So there's huge floodplains. So you can only access Manangrida by road during the dry season. And these river systems, because they come directly from the ocean, they're tidal rivers. And so even up to 80 kilometres south from where the river is, is from, the, like from the ocean south, inland, they're tidal. And so you have to wait until the right tide before you can cross the river. Because there's, there, are all, there are river crossings the whole way across from Darwin when you enter Arnhem Land and travel on that central Arnhem Highway. The rivers are full of saltwater crocodiles. But they're also teeming with all sorts of different fish, different plants are growing, medicinal 
plants that are used for medicinal purposes, and also plants that are used for nutritional value, so that are eaten. And this country is alive with the spirit of the people who live here, the people who are responsible for this country, so all of the people that are, that are living in and around this area. And it's, it's very important that we acknowledge that, that Aboriginal people from these areas are still very much connected to their country, as the Ghana people are here in Adelaide today. And Manangrida has about 4,000 people that live in the community of Manangrida. It's a big school. There's the Art Centre, Manangrida Arts and Culture. There's the Women's Centre, Bapara Designs. And there's also the Jomi Museum, which is a museum that houses a lot of cultural material from ceremonies that are held within this region. There are 12 different language groups of people that live in Manangrida. So it's actually one of the most linguistically diverse places in the world for the amount of area that that, that that covers, it's quite remarkable that there are so many different language groups. And when you walk through the exhibition and you go to, there's a little room that we've got some resources in and you can see the language map. So the map is in language and it shows you all of the languages of the people who live in this area. And you can see where, those, where the language groups are all situated. So Manangrida itself is country for Jabana people. And so all of the other people that live there have great deep respect for those people. And most people can actually understand each other's language, but each language is very unique in its customs and its belief systems. So you can't just think that everybody's the same because they're absolutely not. <laughs> so John Mwanjo paints about the Gunrad that his family is responsible for. And he asks permission from other family members to paint areas that he's not responsible for. So as you travel through the exhibition, you'll notice that within each room, for example, in here, we're in Milmingen. Milmingen is a homeland for Balang, and his family have a house here. And it's, it's, it's really interesting. When you arrive, you arrive by a little dirt track. So you head out of Manangrida on a big main highway of very rich, dark red earth. And you travel along, and as you start to descend down, you can see the floodplain open up below you, and the country changes colour, and it becomes a sort of a, a dirty, muddy, grey kind of colour. And as you wandered, you got, sorry, as you travel down that road, that's still a main road, and each time I've left Manangrida with Balang in the troop carrier, with many of us crammed in, the road's very corrugated, so you're bumping along. You can hardly hear each other, but people are talking the whole time and telling us whose country we're going through. So all of the different clan names are being called out as we go through. So it's fascinating, and it helps you to understand that every inch of country is, is, is looked after by all of these different people. And there'll be much delight and chatter as we go past a track, like a tiny track that you can't imagine a vehicle would actually go down, but that that's going to a particular Gunrud. And people will be talking about that particular place. So it's really 
it, it really opened my eyes. It was incredible for me to be able to travel with the artist, with his family, with his wife Kay Lunjawonga, and, to, and his other family members. He would always bring younger members of the family with him, whether he was coming to Sydney, whether he was travelling out onto country. It's all about bringing the next generation along with him and enabling them to learn and to understand him as an artist and the responsibility that people have to be able to paint the different sites and the different spirit beings and all of the different animals and plants that are painted throughout these exhibitions, sorry, throughout this exhibition, are all painted about particular Gunrid. So at Milmingen, when we arrive, we see two homes made out of corrugated iron and with like a cement veranda all the way around. There's a rainwater tank, there's a satellite phone, there's a couple of drop toilets down the back and a, like an outdoor cooking area, there's a big sink with running water. Manangrita has some of the freshest, nicest water in all of Australia. So they're very fortunate in Manangrita and the outlying homelands. And so we went for a walk and Balang took us down to the freshwater creek that runs through the property and through all of this area. And so we're walking across and it was, it was a little, it's a tributary of the main river and it became where you could actually cross the water. So we were stepping across on, on the rocks, walking across. And me being me with my camera, I got very excited and was you know, taking photographs until I heard this almighty yell, which I knew I had to get, like I had to move. I looked up and thought, oh, they're all over there. And it was because it's infested with crocodiles. So what was I thinking? <laughs> it was just so beautiful. And we've got some of the images that, that I created walking across and doing that in the book itself. So um, the catalogue is rich with images. It's, um, it's been you know, a three and a half year long project. We've worked with the Museum of Contemporary Art and um, two of, uh, sorry, four of their curators so Clotilde Bullen, Natasha Bullock, Manya Sellers, and Keith Munro, myself here, and Lisa Slade. And we also work very closely with the artist, John Mwanjo, or Balang, and the Manangrida Arts and Culture, the Art Centre in Manangrida. And the whole project started, as I said, about three and a half years ago. And it was because John Mwanjo is recognised internationally He's had two major retrospective or, or survey exhibitions in Europe. He has painted within the fabric of the building of the Musée de Quibronli. He has painted his work. He's one of seven Australian Aboriginal artists who were chosen for their work to become part of that building. But in Australia, we haven't recognised him in that same way. And so it was about thinking about creating this art history and making, make, you know, this, this is an opportunity for us to bring together his works from across his 40-year career. So we asked him if he would be interested. The reason we joined forces with the Museum of Contemporary Art is because they have much, they have, a, you know, other resources and opportunities that we don't, didn't have here at the Art Gallery of South Australia. And it was through friendship 
and it was through through connections and you know the opportunity presented itself and we said well why don't we do it and what that's enabled us to do is is to work with the artist in his first language so we enlisted the cultural anthropologist and uh, linguist Dr Murray Gard who went up to Mumaga back in the mid 1980s to teach in the, in the homeland, so in uh, Balang's family's homeland. And it was a small school, and he went there to teach English. That didn't happen. He soon realised that living in an Aboriginal community and engaging with the people that he needed to learn Gunungu. And so he's been a close friend of the artist and his family for the last 30 years, and he has developed a language program with Western and Central Arnhem Land. It's called Binning Gunwok, B-I-N-I-N-J, K-U-N-W-O-K. And it's a, it's a resource for people to be able to learn an Australian language. And how unique within Australia that we can learn an Australian language. So in the exhibition, we've worked very closely with Murray Gard. So each time we travelled up to Manangrida, we've been back and forth about four times and met the artist also in Sydney and in Darwin. So we've had, this has been, you know, an ongoing exchange of information. We've relied really heavily on Murray Gard as well as the Manangrida Arts and Culture Centre and the art workers that work alongside of Balang and the art centre manager. And so... What we've done is we've spoken with Murray Balang and his wife Kay and asked him to tell us in his first language about, you know, what is it about the exhibition that you want people to know? So initially we, we engaged a researcher, Genevieve O'Callaghan, to find as many bark paintings as she could where we could actually find that we knew who the people were that owned them so that we could actually, actually connect with them and ask if we could borrow them. So she found over 700 works of art. Paintings, sculpture, the Mimi sculpture that you see in the next room, the two other large sculptures, the Lorikon, the hollow log coffins that you see as you walk out of this room. And so we had images of all of those works. We went up and sat with the artist and his wife and a couple of the art workers and he went through the images. And he, select, he spoke to the images. We captured this on film through the digital team at the Museum of Contemporary Art and some of that footage is in the 45-minute documentary that you can watch when you just go around the corner. So he responded to the work, talked to the work, picked out about 100... And, I think there were about 140 and... So then we went about asking the people who owned them if, if they would be willing to lend them to the exhibition. So for loans that come from state institutions, you need to ask about a year out from when the exhibition will begin. And private collectors aren't usually as, as tough. <laughs> so it's a little bit easier to get through, um, to get, you know, to, to, to ask private lenders for their works. And so it was, it was, I think we ended up with, there were about, a hun, there were a hundred, about 120. 
One of the works, which has a really lovely story, when Balang was looking at the images, he came upon the work Yamayarud. So the Gunrud is Yamayarud, and the painting is on the landing as you descend the staircase down into the exhibition. And it's of that single palm. And when he saw that image of that painting, he audibly gasped and said, oh, my dear lovely one. And we'd initially thought to ourselves, we can't bring in international loans. It's too much money. You know, how are we going to pay for everything else that we want to do with the artist himself? But when, when an artist reacts so <laughs> movingly to, a, to an, a work of art, we, there's no way that we could not attempt, at least, to bring that work in. So that painting travelled with its owner, business class, <laughs> in its own seat, all the way from, from Hanover in Germany. So we have three international loans, two from the United States, and one of them is at the far end of this walkway here, and that's from the Klugiroo Aboriginal Art Museum at the University of Virginia. And then there's another work which has been purchased by, um, that's within the um, Robert Kaplan and Margaret Levi collection in Seattle. So there's about 68 lenders to the exhibition, so it's been quite a huge feat to bring the works in. The exhibition was on at the Museum of Contemporary Art first, and so it was shown on Circular Quay, and they had incredible visitation. And then the exhibition came to us. So the artist was able to travel to Sydney, and he brought his granddaughter, Sally Ann Workich, and his son, Simbasto, and they, they were able to participate in the public programs. He couldn't travel to Adelaide. There's a lot going on for him at home at the moment. And so he sent his um, granddaughter again, Sally Ann came again, but also his sister, Susan Marawa, and Janet Marawa, who by kinship is, his grand, is a grandmother to him. And so another really important part of this, as I mentioned earlier in my acknowledgement, is that Balang is a real family man. And he really believes in honouring and respecting and enabling women within his community to also have a say and to have an opportunity. And so 20 years ago, he worked very closely with the Bapara Women's Centre to establish the Women's Centre and to, for them to have a place. And so the Women's Centre, what they do there is they hand print textiles. So... What we've done is we've celebrated Bapra Women's um, Centre up in the studio. So all of the beautiful fabrics that you see on the Ottomans, that you see in the cushions, the reprinting of them into vinyls in the, the cafe wall is by Deborah Workich, who's a niece of Balang. And that's a beautiful design of the, the Manwok, the Mumega Bloom, which comes from the Gunrud of Mumega. And then also the treatment to the function room you'll see that we've done a, a vinyl around that. So all of that has had to have been licensed to the artist. We've had to ask permission to do that. And people were very happy for us to work with them. So we also had over the weekend at the Tanandi Art Fair, we had the Manangrida Arts and Culture. And it was the next generation of artists who were featured at the art fair this year. So it's part of that bigger picture and providing the opportunity not only for 
the artist to be able to be showcased, but he also wants recognition for everyone in the community. And I think that's, you know, that's who he is as a person. He's a really, you know, he's very warm. He's, he's a really interesting man as an artist, as you can see through, through his practice. And it was he who decided how we would travel through the exhibition. And as I mentioned, it's by, we're traveling through the Gunrud, through his country. And he, he drew it on a map, working with Murray, how he wanted us to be able to travel through this country. And you can see on the map in the little room where you can see all of the names of the Gunrud. And you can see where you've just walked all the way through and traveled through all of these special places. And within these places, for example, in this room in Milmingen, you can see some of the first work that he made through to, to most recent work. And so that's really quite interesting. It's not a chronological exhibition because it's about, it's about the site, it's about the place, and it's about his stories for that place. On this painting in the cent central part of this wall, these are the Yaukgyao, and the Yaukgyao are the women women spirit beings, they swim in the waterways, so they're underwater. They have like a, almost like a mermaid type tail. And when we were at Milmingen and you see, you can see in the water, you can see the, the, the grasses moving. And as the, as the grasses move and where there's a particular shimmer on the water, he referenced Yelk Yelk. They're with us. They're with us as we travel through. The spirit beings and all of, all of the elements that are, that are created within these paintings and that he's sharing with us are very much alive in country. So when, when you walk through the exhibition, think about that. Think about the fact that he's depicting the ancestors. He's depicting the people who have come before him. Time is not linear. Time is, is it's about the everything. It's about the past, the present, and how we move into the future, and how we acknowledge all of the people, all of the spirit beings, and the actual people within the society that, that live within this particular area. The bark itself, I might just make mention of how the bark is, is sourced, and there is a photographic essay that you can see, which is just around the corner, but what happens is the artist gets a branch of another tree, leans it up. So the branch obviously has to be strong enough for him to be able to shimmy up. So he leans it on the tree, shimmies up the tree, and then uses a sharp axe and taps the shape of the bark and gently peels it off the tree. A big fire is created and the bark is laid on, on the fire and it's cured. So it's left there for an amount of time that you can actually watch the bark flatten itself out. And of course, it's, you know, once it gets to a certain point, he'll drag it off the fire and then lay some heavy either rocks or sand on top of it to keep it flat while it's curing. And that might be a few days or it might be over a week, it might be a couple of weeks. But the bark can only be harvested during the wet season when the tree is at its fullest regrowth period. And that's so that the tree survives 
and it's and so the the bark isn't it's not ring barked it's not the bark isn't taken from the whole width of the tree or the you know the girth of the tree it's just a section of it and then he peels off all of the outer bark and sands the part that he's going to paint onto and the ochre itself is sourced from many of the different gunrad so it's not that you just walk outside and pick up a bit of red ochre because the red ochre in some particular gunrad is the blood of the rainbow serpent so it could be it's the very you know very sacred all every part of the creation of these works is important and it comes from a particular place and it's honored to a particular story the white is huntite so it's a type of clay the other word in gunungu is delek and that is sourced from a particular place kujangul and kujangul is a site where you have to actually dig and i mean dig <laughs> i went to kujangul with um, a young man zebedi and he was digging for for that um, huntite and you can see that on the the documentary and and so when he actually got to to where it was and dug it out it's then it needs to be reconstituted with water so it's soaked in a billy can or a bucket of water and kneaded and then it's laid out to dry and then a piece of it is taken and crushed to a fine powder with another rock on a rock and mixed in with a with PVA glue and water and made into a slurry and then what the artist uses to apply the paint is called a manyilk m a n y i l k and the manyilk is a sedge it's cyperus javonicus and it's taken from this area milmingen is where he gets his brushes from and so that is shredded the base of of the sedge is shredded and it's very fine it's equivalent to about 3 strands of cotton and it's about between 7 and 10 cm long so it's floppy so that's run through this slurry of paint and then he very methodically applies that onto the surface of the bark the that particular mark making that you see in front of you is called rark r a r r k and in western terms it's referred to as cross hatching i'd much rather call it rark <laughs> so much more poetic um so so the artist what he's trying to do he's trying to give us a sense of the power of each of either the spirit beings or the place whether it's a you know one of the water holes at milmington that he so some of some of the circular shapes that you see are referencing the water so whatever it is that he's telling us about it's about portraying the power of that and so he will he will get to a certain point with his paintings and if he's not sure whether or not it's got the right amount of gabimbembe which is that sheen and that shimmer he'll place it into the country into the scrub walk away come back a bit later and if it has the gabimbembe the rock is jumping out at you then he's achieved what he's needed to achieve so he 
he is someone who thinks about the actual shape of the bark. He's painting according to the bark itself and what, what it is in front of him. When you look at Bulawana, so in the next room on that far uh, northern wall, that Gunrud is Ngandario, and Ngandario is a, a location where the ancestors died during a great drought, and that painting is Bulawana. And if you look at the belly of that, of that bark, and you look at the belly of Bulawana, you can see that, that that part of the bark comes out a bit like a tummy, and that he's used that to you know, in order to be able to portray that power, that Jang. The Jang is the power of that story. So he's able to emanate that through looking and working with the shape of the bark itself. So I think you'll probably agree with me that he is a maestro. The former president of France, Jacques Chirac, called him a maestro. He was on the cover of Time magazine that year in, when he was in Paris doing that work at the Musée de Quiberon Lee. And we are just so thrilled that we've been able to work with the artist and his family and the community in order to bring you this very, very special exhibition. And I hope you are able to appreciate all that's gone into it. There's a website, a dedicated website, johnmawanjil.com, where you can go on and you can hear how to pronounce all of these words. So don't be baffled by what you see before you because you can actually go on there and get your ear in. <laughs> and it's a lot of fun to learn another language, I'm sure you all know. So thank you very much for joining us today.